What up, podcast babies? I'm Jesse Oliver. I'm Maureen Smith. And I'm Makita Loney, and we're Fat Out of Hell. A bi-weekly podcast where we burn down fat stigma through conversations about our experiences as fat, rad fatties. So take out your extenders and buckle up, because it's time to go! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fat Out of Hell. And uh, we're going to put a trigger warning right at the, the front of this episode. We are talking today about eating disorder recovery and fat bodies. So if you are in a place where you are like, can't do that right now, we love you and we'll see you next time. Uh, but we're very excited for our guest. Uh, guest. Oh, guest. Hello. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm actually a big fan of your podcast. I usually listen to it while I'm grocery shopping. Um, but yeah, my name is Molly. Um, I am a fat recovery advocate, and I do a lot of work around um, providing meal support for folks and doing some larger advocacy pieces. I've done some work with legislation um, and education around recovery and larger bodies. Um, and I really have just found a lot of um, safety and validation in fat spaces in my own journey. And um, my goal as a recovery advocate is really to provide that space for other folks and to continue that work. Um, that I so desperately needed early on in my recovery journey. Um, I recently started a podcast kind of with that goal. It's called My Big Fat Recovery. Um, and it's all about radical self-love, body liberation, and recovery wisdom for all. Um, you know, it's it's just already really hard to recover from an eating disorder, as we know. And when you're living in a fat body, it can feel like a really radical act of resistance against the culture that we live in and the eating disorder itself. Um, so that's kind of the work that I do. And I'm just glad to be here and talk about such an important topic with you all. I think that your point of like eating record, eating disorder recovery as radical action is like really aligns with how I'm currently feeling about it. Um, like, you know, all, mm-hmm. four, all four of us um, have, have, you know, experience with eating disorders. And the approach that I'm taking with it currently for myself is, like, is, like, kind of reclaiming the things that I felt like I didn't have access to before. Um, and yeah. That's like obviously a step in the journey that is not available to everyone at every step, but it's it's mm. a step that I'm like really excited about and so like the that radical aspect is like so poignant for me. Yeah. I think that I mean at least in my experience, I think that's where kind of the next step of recovery exists. For a lot of people, I think there's the internal work that you do. And then there's the work, especially as a fat person, that you have to do. Um, But I would argue anybody living in, like, the diet culture and fat phobia infused world that we live in has to do of really unlearning what we've been taught and socialized to believe about fatness and about bodies and about food and health and all of that. Um, And I think that really, for a lot of folks, is where recovery lives um and where you find true freedom from the eating disorder and where you can really kind of reshape your values as a human being and learn to live in service of those values and beliefs that you know you deserve to take up space in the world i think one of the things that's really hard for fat folks who are in eating disorder recovery is when you start having conversations about the nature of eating disorders and uh, restrictive control. When there is this uh, diametrically opposed thing, society is telling you that you are constantly out of control because of your body. And like trying to figure out uh, how to rectify those two things, right? And one of the ways I found for myself was in reclaiming foods that I had enjoyed that 
were either associated with the loss of control or over-restrictive control, right? Like, for whatever side of that coin you're on. And I think that goes to that point of, like, the radical um, notion of allowing yourself to be right like mm. like just to to the state of being and recognizing that the entirety of our lives we have been misinformed this has been something i've been talking about a lot recently about this idea of like often fat people's first instigators of their disorders are their parents are the people who are supposed to love them and like there's also a a reclaiming of like your identity in all of this right like the like fundamentally your identity and how you find what that is outside of all of the restrictions that people had put upon you that then grew into other restrictions that you placed upon you and finding that freedom it, it as it relates to food, but also finding that freedom as it relates to just how you feel about yourself, how you treat yourself, and then reflectively how you nourish yourself. Yeah, it's interesting, like the the how nourishment can have like like the the, the hesitancy to nourish your body with food can then result in a hesitancy to nourish your body in other ways, like and nourish your life in other ways. Like that just with nourishment being such an all encompassing action and like act of self love, it permeates everything. (laughs) And so like it starts with food and trickles into every aspect of your life. Like if you're not nourishing yourself with food, like you're likely not nourishing yourself with you know, supportive, you know, a, a, a rock solid support system because, you know, it has to wait. You have to wait until you're, until you quote deserve, you know, to have these, these kind of people in your life, you know, you are gonna, you're gonna wait to nourish yourself financially because you are hesitant to go out on that important job interview because you're not where you're at. It's like, there are so many other of your lives that, become anemic when you deprive yourself of that nourishment right the lack of nourishment of the body leads to a lack of nourishment of the soul right like just generally and then you know yeah and that's really hard it's really hard to tackle how all of those things relate to one another yeah Molly, I have to say, I listened to your most recent episode this morning, and I did love this conversation about the grocery store, and I found myself laughing, because I do a lot of those things just naturally. Like, I put on my headphones, I bop around to music, and I, like, hit the things I need to get to, and then leave, and it is, uh, this year has presented a really strange opportunity in relation to grocery shopping of like, I wasn't going into grocery stores. Like, uh, I only would order pickup orders uh, for health and safety reasons, because I spent a chunk of the year in Arkansas where people just don't believe in science. <laughs> Sorry, Arkansas, it's just true. <laughs> um, um, and it, I I have gone to a grocery store now three times post-vaccination, and I have such a different relationship to grocery stores right now. I actually enjoy walking into a grocery store in a way that I never would have expected. I would have, it only took a global pandemic to like make me be like, Hey, I'm going to walk into that Trader Joe's and be like, I'm very excited about this. I love that. Yeah. It seems like a lot of folks transition from, you know, like despising the grocery store and having it be a huge trigger or feeling very threatened by it to kind of a 
phase of neutrality where you just kind of tolerate it. And then I think the ultimate goal should be to enjoy it. And I know I'm definitely lucky enough to be at a place in my recovery where I really do enjoy it now. Um, and you know, walking around gives me new ideas of things that I might want to eat or cook. And, um, you know, like those eating disorder thoughts and patterns are still there. And then you're bombarded with diet culture in like every aisle, but, um, being able to really stay connected to my like recovery self and use kind of those skills that I was talking about in that episode, um, really has transformed the grocery store for me in a really cool way. And I love that you kind of have like reclaimed it too and feel like it's an enjoyable experience. Totally. The, like the return to some sense of old normalcy for me is like healed other things. And I, I do think that's going to be an interesting thing for all of us to see over the course of the next year. Right. Like as we, uh, are able to do some things that we once did if we will find ourselves in situations where our relationships to things that used to be triggering have completely changed because we our whole relationship to the world has changed yeah mm-hmm. Kita, one of my one of my favorite photo shoots that you've ever done was the photo shoot that you did inside of that mariano's where like there's this it's this amazing series of photos of mm. you standing i think it's in the frozen food section just like just like vibing in the frozen food section <laughs> and i i know that that shoot had like particular meaning other than you just being like a fucking baddie inside a grocery store um and i um and it's something that I, I really related to, like, when it comes to specifically, like, frozen food. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I guess I went into that shoot with no, I guess, particular meaning behind it. Um, but, I mean, the frozen food aisle is a, a portion of the grocery store for me that I don't enjoy. Um, because of all of the, the packaged, um like weight loss foods and it's just been a place where like you know it's either you're gonna go in there and you're gonna get like what people call junk food or you're gonna go in there and only get Atkins diet um uh frozen food meals and so actually it's been a really hard point of my recovery as well because I see um, I see a, a Hayes nutritionist to kind of get me back on track and kind of to heal my relationship with food. Um, and one of the things that she has me doing is purposely finding frozen foods that I enjoy to get over that fear of that section of the grocery store um, and to not place judgment on myself and to not... And, like, she's like, you know, there's definitely you are bombarded with all of those weird, like lean cuisine situations, but there are definitely other foods. They're mainly for convenience because you are a busy person. And there are some nights where like you can't cook anything or you don't have the energy to. So why would you put yourself through that? Just get a frozen meal. And like, we can, you know, you can get one thing that you really like and stick to that one thing. And then you can start to branch out a little bit more. Um, Well, so I, I guess like, I guess in turn it does, I guess, have a little bit of meaning um, when I think about it more. I guess I didn't realize that at the time, but, but yeah, it's, it's an aisle that's, that's plagued me for my entire life, and we're working through it. I'm so glad that you found a health at every size dietitian. I think that's such... An important and you know anybody who can do that. Yeah, I, would really like, I also want to like clarify it that like recovery, it's so just important. because you know her title's technically a dietitian doesn't mean that I'm like doing anything restrictive wise or anything like that. Um, it's more for something that I'm dealing with specifically um, that she um, that she's trained for, and so 
Um, it's it's just it's been really I, I treat it more as nutritional therapy, and I think that's actually what she's started to call it now. Um, and it's been really great. So if that is something that you can afford, or you know, work with a payment plan or somebody that you that you find that you enjoy, I, I I highly recommend it. It's it's wild. Like once we once we realize that we are deserving of help and deserving of like that this that this does that this area of our lives does affect every aspect of it and does deserve attention like it's you know and and this is this is something that just plagues fat people in general like everything is just more complicated like everything is just more complicated because like if a if a straight-sized person you know, comes to comes to terms with an eating disorder and decides to seek help. It's there are resources available to that straight sized person where, you know, there are there are groups, there are, you know, there are programs where, you know, while there is definitely stigma around every eating disorder, a straight sized person in that space is taken more seriously, whereas a fat person. They yeah. also, they never have to prove yeah. that they're like, part of it is that we spend so much time in the medical community in general, proving we have these things, right? Like that to that point, you can just walk in and a doctor will listen to the things and be like, you have this, but in a fat body, no, you have to, it's like, like, oh, were you diagnosed? You, oh, like, what steps have you taken? Oh, like, describe your symptoms. And then it's like, I've had to do that in every doctor's office that I've gone into to justify why I don't want to have the weight loss conversation because I'm like, oh, like, I have a history of disordered eating. I, you know, while I understand that you are concerned about my weight, um, my relationship with weight loss is not something that I'm willing to discuss and it's like, oh, well, talk to me about that. And then it's like, I'm like, you know, yeah. 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 It's the cycle of constantly proving. And that, like the other thing that, that ends up leading to is like when you can't get an accurate diagnosis for yourself, you end up having to like figure out how to diagnose yourself and like treat yourself before you can get someone to pay attention to you, right? Like, like I feel like half the time I'm Detective Pikachu trying to figure out what's wrong with me before I even walk into a doctor's office so I can be like, and here's all the proof. And then I'm like, then all of a sudden I'm like Columbo, like trying to like give my case to the doctor. Like, it's like part detective, part lawyer, just to get like, base medical care. <laughs> oh my god. Jesse oh. is Detective Pikachu. Where's the fan art? I ask you, where's the fan art? <laughs> uh, I I will love every every submission. So uh, but it is really hard, right? Like when when there is so little care generally for fat folks that when you get into things that are perception based versus reality based it gets even further like in that like difficulty journey on that spectrum and i will say like i think even once you quote unquote like prove to the right person that you have an eating disorder even um, you know, let alone other medical issues, but specifically in eating disorder spaces, um, let's say you finally find access to treatment, that treatment frequently is just another form of fat phobia and having to prove it every single day. Um, and I know in my personal story, like that is kind of why I became a recovery advocate, because I experienced a lot of harm at the hands of medical providers and even eating disorder treatment providers um, that really, you know, kept me ill. And at the end of the day, like, unfortunately, in my experience, it really almost killed me. And um, 
it's it's such an important area of advocacy that needs to happen. I mean, you mentioned kind of having to prove like a specific diagnosis and I was misdiagnosed with the wrong eating disorder for years um, and even put on a medication for it um, that actually made my like restrictive eating disorder worse. Um, and by the time I got to a health at every size treatment provider, there was unfortunately a lot going on medically for me um, as a result of that. And so I think, you know, like when we're having these kind of conversations, it's not just that it's invalidating to be given the wrong diagnosis or to be questioned at every stage of recovery or of medical access, but it really is killing people. And I think, um, I'm incredibly lucky that I stumbled upon the right treatment provider, but it, um, is a very unusual experience, unfortunately. And it's something that I think we just need to keep fighting for. And the more that we talk about these things and have these conversations, my hope is that straight-sized providers will hear and listen and, you know, stop causing harm to fat people or at least question it when they're in those positions of power. When it comes to fat people in medical spaces, like, it is honestly one of the areas of medical science that is the most flawed um so many studies Mm -hmm. regarding like the you know being fat and how it affects your health like so many of those studies are funded by diet companies whereas like you know if there was a lung cancer study funded by you know marble you know whatever um, name a cigarette company by the cigarette company it would be written off as like biased and flawed and not scientific but like looking into what's like the background and the funding of so many of these like oh like you know weight and its effect on you know whatever like it's if you look at the information like it's it is funded by diet the diet industry and so the fact that so much of this information that doctors see as scientific is actually just biased nonsense and that is the going knowledge that you know we are provided it's it's so frustrating to try and actually be a healthy fat person it's also wild to me how easily doctors learned something when they were in med school and never learned past that like they're unaware that science isn't constantly changing. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I, I get really frustrated when I'm like, yes, you're quoting something from like a 1972 study. Yeah. Like <laughs> a lot has changed, right. <laughs> right? Like also like it's a terribly flawed study, uh, but they, they like hold on to that old information in a way that you just don't see in other branches of medicine. Like it's, wild to me but it is completely based in anti-fat bias right they want things that prove that their hypothesis of like fat bad thin good right like the neanderthalic hypothesis that they're operating on and then like you're this happens like not only at doctors but like uh well, you see it all over the internet too, right? Like when you get people, anyone who's, all of us are in public space enough to like have had this happen uh, is like, well, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, there, if a, a simple Google search would have disproved everything that just came out of your mouth. But we are constantly put into the position of defending ourselves uh, the way we deserve to be treated and our access to medical care and our access to like unbiased care around food. Yeah. Well, and we see that especially with Tess Holiday recently. Come. Right. That which we want to yeah. <laughs> automatically put the caveat that we all recognize that Tess Holiday is flawed and like that is. Uh, perhaps a conversation to be had another day if ever we find interest in having that conversation. But her coming out 
as anorexic in such a public platform will end up being good for fat folks. Like, it just illuminates that this is a thing. It is a real thing. And that a lot of us are suffering from eating disorders or disordered eating, right? Like, that we are... We are able to be fat and to have those things right because i didn't like i mean okay so anyone who's listening to this it's sort of like we're talking into an echo chamber i guess in some regards but this idea of if 70 percent of women in this country are plus sized and if the diet industrial like complex always targets them and if we know eating disorders can be uh, that that like diets and eating disorders go hand in hand, of course fat people have eating disorders. Like this is not a very hard if then statement. Like it would be an easy question on the SAT, right? Like, <laughs> but there's such an incredible like mental gymnastics that people put themselves through though to convince themselves that that's not the case because i mean somebody can look you in your eyes or in your freaking comment section on any sort of social media and be like oh my god yeah i mean just the amount of like vitriol against fat people for existing let alone recovering from an eating disorder and eating food um i mean we really prescribe to fat people what we diagnose as eating disorders and thin people and somebody will tell you in the same breath to do x y and z but then look at a thin person and be like oh no that's an eating disorder and it's like they understand that absolutely and they think you deserve it and that's the thing that is this constant um call back to the like why are we not granting people humanity, <laughs> right? Like, like mm-hmm. that, like, wh- how, how have we gotten to this place? And a lot of it is the uh, inherent relationship between anti-fatness and anti-blackness. But a lot of it is just cultural training from diet companies that fat people are to be feared, right? Like, that, like, you look at someone like fucking Rachel Hollis, who wrote a book that was basically mm-hmm. saying ditch your fat friends because they are uh, morally inferior and they're bringing you down with their fatness. And no one fucking said a thing about it when that book came out. And then when she did something recently very problematic, which was incredibly problematic, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, we're now going to recognize that this this woman is super problematic when she literally told you to, like, not be friends with fat folks. Like, that just seemed to, like, wash right over people, right? Um, I don't know. I was, I was thinking recently, and this is, welcome to a tangent in Jesse Oliver's brain, uh, what thing uh, is the idea of gluttony and how much, like, euro christian white centric ideas of like colonized eating but also this idea of gluttony and how that is forced upon the the intertwined relationship between christianity and the perceptions of fat folks right like and how that is a huge element that i don't think people talk about nearly enough that Mm. it's just historically woven into the fabric of the country that we are viewed as a sin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that had that hadn't occurred to me, and like it's true. Like it's it's it's. <laughs> well, and what it is is like it's we're like, and there are so many there are so many negative traits assigned to fatness, like in in public in you know, in mainstream culture, fat people are painted as stupid. Fat people are painted as lazy. Fat people are labeled as greedy. Fat people are labeled as 
um, overindulgent. They're like anytime, like especially in like you know cartoons or in like especially like political cartoons. Anytime that like a negative trait is desired to be like they like there are like the basically like the three tropes that are immediately gone to in like cartoon i don't know science is anti-semitism racism and fat and fat phobia if ever you want to portray something negative it's one of those three things your bad your big bad your bad guy is gonna either be fat phobic racist or or anti-semitic and it's like it's wild how villainized this like majority condition <laughs> has become it really is and you mentioned or i guess i might have mentioned comment sections but especially with like it I think that the cartoon thing almost is translated into the sort of memery and laughing stock that people then create in people's comment sections, especially on public platforms mm. like Tess Holidays. Um, and I made the unfortunate mistake of kind of scrolling through some of her comments after she did make this disclosure. And it was just, I mean, it was horrific. It was, I, you know, definitely Tess Holiday has made some like questionable choices in the past for sure. And like, man, as a fat person in recovery, like seeing those comments, I was like, Ooh, I want to protect this person and her vulnerable thing that she just put out into the world. And it, you know, it's not like she's really going to see and be affected by those comments necessarily, but you know, like, everyday people scrolling through them are and the things that people were saying that they would never say to a thin person about their eating disorder were just I mean I don't think there's any word for it other than disgusting and horrific well Um, and like it's wild like so the the Netflix the new season of the crown came out and it shows princess you know princess Diana struggling with bulimia throughout the season and at the top of every episode that features Princess Diana um, with bulimic. There was a c- yeah, with like, yeah, yeah, with like, and she's she's portrayed as this like sympathetic figure throughout with her eating disorder being like, like, oh, it's her. Like it, the way that they treated her eating disorder throughout, it was like, you know, it was accurate you know it was so accurate like with you know her doing it as like you know whenever things were out of control that's when her symptoms resurfaced and the fact that in the same year in the same year there can be such a sympathetic and accurate and um well-researched and like you know portrayal of this eating disorder and then in the same breath, someone currently living with an eating disorder is just eviscerated. And, like, the only difference is size. And it's just, like, you know, I, I was so heartened to see... Because, like, you know, eating disorders are so ridiculously portrayed in media ridiculously portrayed and so to see such a to see one like uh, to see how the crown handled it and to see how they like obviously did their research and understood that is that it is triggering and provided resources and all of that and like and then you know seeing that and and thinking like oh my gosh like maybe we're finally moving into a a space where like productive conversations can happen but no we can only have production productive conversations surrounding the eating disorder of straight size folks and it's so frustrating yeah and I don't know at what point that changes right like i like 
here's the thing. I really do believe, as someone who is is old, geriatric millennial, uh, <laughs> that is my new favorite term. Uh, but as someone who is older, I will say it's so different, right? Like it's changing. It's changing. And I just have a little more time to have the perspective of seeing it change. Uh, and I, I am very interested to see what happens in the next 20 years, right? The fact that like the LA Times wrote a fucking article this week in regards to the New York Times article that fat shaped Broadway performers, oh my God. the LA Times came back and wrote an article about the problem of fat shaming in theater. And I was like, oh, things. This is happening. It is happening. It's just happening in a way that feels so very glacial, right? Like that it's, but it, it is, it is happening. But I think the thing is just being really mindful of like being so vocal and verbal and fighting for what's good, right, and just when you can and then sitting down when you can't and then like getting right back up and like I am the tigering this shit <laughs> like <laughs> right also like I mean as to the thing about comments like one thing I realized is that those comments were like on my personal Instagram were just really hard for me so I just put up a privacy restriction that you could only comment if you were friends with yeah. me. That's a good idea. And that, you know, like things like that where I'm like, what I am committed to doing this work. What boundaries do I need to put around it? And like in regards to like anything we're talking about, right? Like eating disorder recovery and like how we walk through these spaces. Boundaries are so important because boundaries are how we validate our own worth in our lives, right? Like, and saying, I will not allow this, so goodbye. Right. Like, <laughs> well, and kind of speaking about, I, I think that with Molly here, we kind of have a unique opportunity to talk about, like, specifically podcasting about sensitive topics. Like, I think, you know, obviously mm. with all of our guests, we have a unique opportunity in that we all share the commonality of being fat now. But, you know, with Molly, it's like, yes, we're all fat, but we're also fat podcasters. And so, Molly, I'm curious for you, like, how has, um, with podcasting being such a vulnerable and, like, exhaustive and thorough and just, like, just fucking talking about what is going on like how has and as a recovery advocate like how has the process of like podcasting about recovery affected your recovery sure um i think first of all when you called me a podcaster oh. i like blushed a little bit but um, you have podcast and our podcast yeah, I mean, you do the thing wow <laughs> I do the thing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm fairly new to the podcast game in terms of creating content. Um, I very much existed more on Instagram and TikTok up until recently. Um, and <laughs> I never thought I would say that I would be on TikTok, but, you know, yeah. the pandemic happened and here we are. And um, I think especially like in recovery spaces, I have learned a lot about like how to communicate things in a way that um, is not going to give people ideas or encourage comparison or be triggering and at the same time can communicate things that are important um, and vulnerable. I think for me, the podcast is an opportunity to maybe connect with folks in a different way I do I have noticed so far that I find myself um and maybe this is a bigger issue than just podcasting for me but really wanting to say the right things in the right way and recording things over and over again until I get it that way um and wanting it to just be perfect and have it you know have a little bow tied on it before I send it out on its way to distribution but um I think 
what I have to remember in that is that I think what makes me an effective recovery advocate is my authenticity. And um, that's what people need to see and hear from any of us is the real shit and not just, um, you know, the kind of recovery inspo that you might see online a lot of the time. Um, but I think talking about the hard things and the real things and doing it in a way that encourages conversation is really my goal. Um, I think, yeah, there are ways to communicate things that, um, I think are more effective and get the message across without necessarily falling into a lot of the traps that traditional eating disorder content falls into that can be triggering or encourage comparison. So, um, you know, I think I make it a goal for myself not to share things like numbers or even specific behaviors or that kind of thing beyond saying, you know, I had a restrictive eating disorder. Um, I never am somebody that's going to share like details about that. Um, in any way that would give anybody any sort of idea because that would be like my worst nightmare. <laughs> um, but I think in addition to that, you know, the first episode I put out was about the sick enough trap and how a lot of the time, especially as fat people, we fall into this trap of feeling like we're never going to be sick enough to say that we have an eating disorder or to deserve recovery. And that really is a function of the eating disorder to keep us sick. And it's a function of the society that we've been you know, socialized into that tells us it's not possible that we are sick or deserve to feel better. Um, and I think I try to kind of instill those values in all of the work that I do in remembering that, you know, you don't need to communicate the big sort of scary things that would grab people's attention necessarily to communicate that recovery is possible and to communicate skills and important conversations. Um, so I think it's a really fine balance. And especially with how problematic a lot of the recovery world is online. I think it has been shifting in a good direction, but there's still so much content out there that I think is actually really harmful. And even for the people posting it, it serves to keep them ill um, because it becomes all about your body and numbers and food and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is I try to kind of actively counteract that and create the kind of content that I needed earlier on in my journey. That's such an important North Star when you're doing this kind of thing is like, what what would I have benefited from? Like, and I think that that's honestly, like you talked about how the importance of authenticity and like, I think that like we can all strive for perfection and like with podcasting, it, it, is, it is easy to get perfection because it isn't live. You know, you can edit and you can manicure mm -hmm. and you can polish. And, you know, there are so many bells and whistles that you can add on to podcasting. Um, and, you know, some would argue that, you know, the most polished and the most manicured is going to be the better product overall. But I, I really have a lot of respect for the type of podcaster and the, and the type of conversations that allow for growth like there are I think that there are a lot of episodes where you know we give redundant information or what seems like redundant information but really it's just kind of like us figuring out in real time and I, I think that that's like you know to your point of authenticity like it demonstrates that we're real people and I, and I think that as people on a public in a public forum, we often don't get that. Don't we often? Uh, yeah, we aren't like granted humanity. that level of humanity of like, hey, hey, like, yes, we are people recording a podcast and and like putting content out there and and you know we are providing a resource, but at the end of the day, we're still people figuring it out for ourselves. Well, there's also something to be said that. Uh, the idea of the good fatty like oh we'll only give a fat person respect if they're like pretending to follow all the rules and they're uh completely put together all the time and they're whatever like i really see the necessity for us to be like don't we just get to be human don't we just get mm -hmm. to be our like flawed selves who are like in process and working and like figuring things out 
Uh, and that's just something we need to see more of, right? Like, you know, we went from stereotypical, uh, like, again, that idea of the associative words with the word fat, like fat, lazy, fat, stupid, fat. Like, we went from stereotypical uh, representations to the most over-glamorized representations, and now it's like, what if I'm just a normal fucking person who is also fat, <laughs> right? Like, and that's, that is something that I think is really important in that, like, idea of podcast spaces, the idea of any kind of social media space that, like, we are able to show ourselves yeah. living. Like, I'm just a person who has gas, looks good with lipstick, eats grapes on road trips, and is uh, tired of rewatching The Office. And I'm also fat. Like, it's just, like, these are just <laughs> facts about me, you know? Like, I, I'm, and, like, it's such, a, it's such a leap because I either have to be stupid or I have to be an inspiration. And it's like, no, I just want to be a person who doesn't want to watch The Office and has gas. Like, why can't I just be that? <laughs> and that's so much of what recovery is at its core too is really learning how to embrace the mess of everything and to be authentically yourself and to lean into that and to not use all these other things and habits and destructive things like an eating disorder to really cover that up and I think I definitely navigated that as a patient um like learning how to be a patient I think was a very like unlearning fat phobia experience for me because I needed to take up space in a way that I had never done. And even just emotionally, um, I had to be okay with being vulnerable and with, um, needing help. And I think those are things that as fat people were socialized to move away from, um, because that involves taking up space and that involves being messy and that's not okay. Um, and I think, like, the first time I cried in a group, in group therapy, like, in a treatment program, I was like, whoa, like, that's not okay. And really had to be kind of, I had to do a lot of unlearning there to learn how to accept help and to benefit from that sort of program. Um, and there were so many times where I had to, you know realize that I didn't just need to sit there and like gratefully accept this magical treatment that I was receiving as a fat person. Like I didn't have to sit there and accept the fat phobic treatment I was receiving just because I was getting treatment and I didn't have to sit there and be grateful for that. I could fight for better care and for what I actually needed and deserved um, and could speak up and that that was okay. And I mean, man, that was not easy. <laughs> but um, it was so necessary, like fighting, you know, I spoke up in a community meeting once, which is like this really shitty treatment thing where the, you know, like leadership team kind of comes in and asks you how things are going um, as a group. And I kind of was the self designated advocate for the group at the time, um, and had to kind of speak up about things that we didn't like. But then also, as one of like two fat people there, um, I had to be kind of like, Hey, you know, your gowns, they don't fit me. And like your towels, they don't fit me. And your doctor, you know, assumed X, Y, and Z about me. And that's not okay. Um, and that is taking up space and being messy and being in recovery as a fat person and something that I was very uncomfortable with, but really that's where the real work happened for me. And that's where I learned you know, to find my voice and that sort of thing and to not just sit there and humbly accept this magical, like, treatment that I didn't deserve. <laughs> I, this is so true of so many things for fat people, right? Like, uh, we've been having conversations in the opera world about anti-fat bias, and one of the things I keep saying is, like, the moment I made the decision to speak up that people couldn't say really terrible things about my body in the room it became I was difficult because I didn't I no longer knew my place right and like like I think that is just true for fat folks and that's part of the thing that makes accessing care so difficult is that like that 
that idea that we are meant to be grateful just for the base thing that we can't question how it's being done yeah right no like the thing that kind of like yeah last year i i had a lot of medical issues and like was in and out of doctor's offices and stuff like that and for me what i the thing that i started to kind of become like a little obsessive about was reading because like all of my doctors have like go work through online portals now and so i'm able to access my chart that they like took notes and so after these appointments i would look at the charts and what stuck with me was like the comorbidity information and also but also then that every single every single doctor there was a note at the bottom of like patient was very reasonable and not difficult or like like basically implying that like they were expecting me to like be difficult but i they were surprised by the fact that i was like okay like and there's just the stigma of like the difficult fat person in the medical space like oh they're just gonna fight me on this they're just gonna be they're just gonna put up a fight and it's like oh like how dare i fight for my humanity how dare i be difficult and like this the truth of it is like a lot of times like it's to the point where we're just kind of too sick <laughs> to advocate for ourselves. And that's mm-hmm. why I, w- that's where I was. I was just too sick to not be difficult. Like, or I was too sick to be difficult, difficult quote, air quotes, podcast gold. Um, it, <laughs> it's just, it's so fucked. <laughs> It's so fucked. It really is. And there, I know, like, I have, I think we all have, like, those moments where we wish you could go back and say different things and, like, think of a comeback after you leave sort of thing. And for me, like, a lot of those are doctor's office scenarios. And there's one in particular with a, I mean, I feel like endocrinologists are particularly terrible in Mm -hmm. my experience to fat people. Um, But, like, I literally this was years ago, I was literally in treatment at the time and went to go see an endocrinologist and um, had to be like, yeah, so like this treatment center sent me, you know, this is what I'm doing right now. And um, not only was there like a diorama of fat on his desk, um, like one of those like weird blob things where it's like, this is what X amount of pounds looks like. Um, you know, as soon as I came in, I saw that there were diet plans like in a folder behind his head. So immediately my guard was up. And at the time I wasn't able to respond in the way that I wanted to. But I think also like we shouldn't have to advocate for ourselves in that way anyway. But he ended up recommending bariatric surgery to me like five times in the course of our like 10 minute appointment. Um, and really just making me question everything about my recovery and about my diagnosis and asking me to educate him. He was like, well, if you have, you know, books you want to send me, I'll read them. And at the time I was like, well, at least he was nice about it. And it's like, oh God, like, why is that the freaking bare minimum? Like, yeah, he was nice while he was spewing like medical bias and inadequate care to me. Um, and literally prescribing, like, something that would be so harmful to me. But, you know, at least he wasn't an asshole about it. And it's like, oh, man, why why is that the, the standard that we have? And I wish I could go back and say, you know, intellectual and, like, evidence-based responses to him. And at the same time, I'm kind of like, oh, like, that should not be our job. And I agree that I think it is slowly shifting in a better direction direction i hope um but (laughs) oh yeah it really better (sighs) well um i think that this is a good place to start wrapping up um something that we typically do at the end is kind of like have final thoughts um so uh jesse i know you like to go last (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, what happens is I just go, and another <laughs> thing, and another Also, final thing. thoughts. <laughs> also, final thoughts. One more final thought. Just the, the finalist, the finalist thought. <laughs> the penultimate <laughs> final thought. Um, so... Since I initiated final thoughts, I can go first <laughs> so, so, so as to throw myself into the deep end. Um, I am so incredibly grateful for the growth and the, the growth of acceptance around fat bodies in the eating disorder community. Um, I think that, you know, the fact that, you know, multiple podcasts that discuss the multiple podcasts exist and if multiple podcasts exist that must mean that other conversations outside of the podcast world are happening um and you know the it's it's really heartening that we're just able to have these conversations and that um I just I just want it just it it feels good to be in a place to be able to put this stuff out there. That's my final thought. I'm glad we're all in a place that we can put this out there. Would anyone like to go next? <laughs> I guess mine's not essentially a final thought more as I guess like a action. Um, I think everybody listening should eat something that they enjoy today. That's all. I love that. Heck yeah. Um, well, I guess my final thoughts are gratitude, I think, to you all and to this community. Um, I think, you know, my experience of, uh, recovery from my own eating disorder was really thwarted by a lot of fat phobia. And, um, I think the work of like the people who came before me, um, made my experience, um, possible to even find recovery, especially through online spaces of other fat people. Um, so I, I hold a lot of gratitude for that and a lot of hope, um, that that can continue and that we can continue to make improvements, um, and have these kind of hard conversations and let people know that they're not alone. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons for me in my recovery has been, um, unlearning a lot of the way that I was socialized to believe about myself and about my body and learning to take up space, um, I would really, you know, encourage people to continue to engage in these conversations and to do that unlearning and to find support. And my message is really that you deserve care. You deserve nourishment, um, no matter the space that you take up in the world. And, um, fat people can have eating disorders. They can be serious and life-threatening and, I hope that if you are struggling with that, that you take care of yourself and find uh, the community and the help that is out there because, you know, we've talked about a lot of the harm that's done, but there still is a lot of good out there and uh, help does exist. And there are health at every size, um, nutritional therapists, like we were talking about, and um, that, that help is out there and you deserve it. And um, I would encourage you to go seek it. Um, and if you, yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, my final thought is, uh, we deserve to be loved. Our bodies deserve to be loved. And that's not just by others. Our bodies deserve to be loved by us and how we treat our bodies, uh, is a reflection of that love. So I hope that you take a moment today if you hear this to just have a moment where you tell yourself the things you love about your body very specifically not about you not about your great personality not about the things you have a talent towards about your body 
and that you nourish it and give it all the love it deserves because that is important. Uh, Molly, where can people find you and where can they find your podcast? Sure. Um, so the podcast is available on most um, streaming platforms now, which is super exciting. It is called My Big Fat Recovery. You can also find me on Instagram um, by the same name, My Big Fat Recovery Podcast. Um, if you'd like to follow my work as a recovery advocate, I also have an Instagram account and TikTok um, at Molly in Progress, and you can follow me there. All right. Well, we love your podcast, babies, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on all the social media places as Fat Out of Hell Pod and all the podcast places as Fat Out of Hell. And you can shoot us an email at fatoutofhellpod at gmail.com. Bye, baby.